the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along today for the Wednesday edition. You know, uh, there's something intimate, of course, uh, about this medium that you and I share, that even though we don't know each other, I believe that certainly you know a lot more about me, John, and Kathy, of course, than we do about you. This is clearly a one-way relationship because we're pretty transparent, I I think. What you see a a lot of times, most of the time, is what you get, who we are as people. Now, of course, you know, there there are other deeper things that are going on. You don't see all that, but you do see generally who we are as human beings because we've shared an awful lot in the 14 years that we've done this show. I don't think we're shy about that, for better or worse, I would say. So, um, Kath is not here today on air, and she won't be with us on air for a while. It's going to be um, probably until next Friday. Kath is taking a trip, and uh, she is traveling with the Bible League. Months and months ago, um, Michael Woolworth, who is the Bible League Eyes and Ears, said, Hey, would you take a trip? Would you go to Indonesia with us? She asked Kath. He asked Kath. So Kath thought about it. It's a heck of a long trip, and, you know, there's some danger involved. It's a small trip. Maybe like four people were going to go. So Kath said, Yes. Yes. But then on January the 2nd, Kathy's mom suddenly, unexpectedly passed away. Now, this came on the heels of 10 months earlier. Kathy's dad had passed away. So within the short space of literally 10 months, Kath lost both of her parents. Now, I don't know if you follow us on Facebook, but I need to read this piece to you just so you get a full understanding as we go forward in these next few weeks. Kathy wrote this on her Facebook page. Friends, I'm taking a trip. It's been just a few weeks since I suddenly lost my most beautiful mom. Nanny was wonderful, clever and generous and brave and faithful a delight in every way, a joy to be with. It's been such a loss for me, for all of us who love her, that I haven't been able to talk about it on the air or write about it online. There's so much to say, and I find that I can't say anything at all. I lost my dad not even a year ago, and right before my mom died, I felt that I was starting to come to grips with it, still missing him so much, but able finally to take a deep breath. A full breath again. And now I'm mourning. I'm mourning my dad all over again, too, because it's just unthinkable that they're both gone. My parents loved radio, and they taught me to love it. They listened to sports and politics and music and John and me every single day. Ultimate listeners. And so I'm taking a trip. Because months ago I said I would, and I want to. I'm fortunate that I get to meet people who love Jesus 
and live on the opposite side of this spinning globe. And a part of me is running away because life can be irreparably sad and I still can't catch my breath. So, pray that I run toward Jesus instead of away and that I recognize him in the Indonesian brothers and sisters that I'm on my way to meet. I'll post as I go along and John and new Mike We'll have one great show after another while I'm on the road. Peace to all of you. Kathy. That's on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. You can read it for yourself. And Kath has posted a beautiful photograph of her mom, Nanny, as she called her, and Stan, her dad. So what we did, knowing that Kathy was going to go away, was that we worked ahead of time. And we had conversations that were recorded off air to present to you as Kath is away. And so over the next week or so, we'll air most of those. Sometimes it'll just be me, Solo, and Mike together. Or sometimes it'll be the three of us in a pre-recorded mode. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that, that was what, that's what was going on. And as you tune in and out, you get some idea. And I know I don't have to say this, but would you please keep Kath in your prayers? She is deeply hurt. And I know a lot of you love her and know her well, like we do. So, prayers for Kathy. We'll take a break right now and come back. We do got a great show for you. We're going to talk about the hashtag Me Too movement. We're going to talk about God liking us. We're going to talk about mental health in the church. All that and more on the Wednesday edition of The Ride Home. Stay with us. 101.5 WORD. Larry McCall says there is a burden on the heart of every grandparent. As grandparents, we want our grandchildren to follow Jesus Christ. So we pray that way. We want to display the gospel. We want them to be around us and to see Christ. We'll explore strategies for grandparenting with grace. Next time on Family Life Today. Tomorrow morning at 9 on 101.5 Word FM WORD. I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO of Wesley Financial Group and timeshare cancellation advocate. I was sued by the largest timeshare company in federal court for simply helping people cancel their timeshare that they had been lied to about. The jury sized me up and came back with a verdict after only 20 minutes. And yes, I won. My husband and I are more than grateful to everyone at Wesley Financial Group. You know, thanks to Chuck and his team, we feel as though a weight has been lifted and we can move on without the worry of a troublesome timeshare. Whether you owe ten dollars to $250,000 on your timeshare, it's my mission to get you out of your timeshare, eliminate your payments, and get them off your back permanently. And we proudly hold an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Want to learn more about getting rid of your troublesome timeshare? Call Wesley Financial Group now for your free consultation. Call 800-279-1414. That's 800-279-1414. 800-279-1414. We have a major problem here in Pennsylvania, very much like other addictions plaguing our communities. The threat is unregulated gambling on illegal slot machines, camouflaged as skill games. They're popping up everywhere at gas pumps, pizza parlors, and your local convenience store. State police describe these places as breeding grounds for loan sharking and money laundering. If you object to your community becoming a mini Las Vegas, make your voice heard. Call 1-888-472-4418. 
Report those places that are enticing our kids into gambling disguised as entertainment. It's an activity that siphons money away from the Pennsylvania Lottery, whose proceeds go to supporting seniors in our state. Please phone now. This is serious. That number again is 1-888-472-4418. Paid for by Pennsylvanians Against Illegal Gambling. Executive Board Member Peter Shelley. When the earth stands between you and a finished project, you need E&K Excavation. Whether you have to dig it, grade it, drain it, prep it, stabilize it, shape it, clear it, or dispose of it, E&K Excavation has over 100 years of combined experience and a fleet of heavy equipment to help you bend it to your will. They can handle any size project for your home or business, providing quality results on time and on budget. For a free quote, visit ekexcavation.com. They'll move the earth for you at ekexcavation.com. So we often hear, right, rightfully so, God loves us. But you also heard this expression, well, I love you, but I really don't like you. You ever get that? Well, you've felt that way about people in your life. Or or you you know people in your life who think that way about you. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. All right. So we know God loves us, but does God really love us? like me. And does and how does that matter, I wonder? Yeah, Sid Holzclaw is with us. Sid's a co-pastor of Youth and Families at Vineyard North in Grand Rapids, Michigan, as well as a ministry and life coach and spiritual director. Uh, she, along with her husband, uh, Jeff Holzclaw, have written, Does God Really Like Me? Discovering the God Who Wants to Be With Us. Sid, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Glad to be with you guys today. Yeah, Sid, we all recognize that relationships are complicated, whether it's between spouses or between parents and kids or friends or coworkers or whatever it is. And so if you love somebody, that's good. Oftentimes you don't like them and you have to figure out a way to tolerate it, to work it out, to stay the course. Why does it matter that God both loves us and likes us? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I know it's one that I have asked, and I think it's one that several people have asked. I think it really makes a difference in the sense that we all know what it feels like to be tolerated or to be put up with, and it doesn't feel great. And so the idea of God just putting up with us or tolerating us, that doesn't compel me to want to spend time with Him. I don't know Mm -hmm. about you, but um, if God is just barely putting up with me, it's no wonder that I would be avoiding talking to him or wanting to be near him because it just doesn't feel good to be around somebody who's just tolerating you. Um, So I think, you know, a lot of us have experienced the idea of God as being distant or being disappointed with us or being frustrated or even, or just aloof, right? And so, but it makes all the difference in the world when we know that God actually wants to be with us, that he enjoys our presence And because that changes how we experience his presence, it changes our motivation to want to be in his presence. And I think it can change how we live. Um, Because when we trust that God wants to be with us, we learn to live as if we actually belong with God, as if we're actually wanted, that he's actually glad to be with us. But Sid, forgive me, I mean, isn't isn't that in some way, I mean, doesn't it feel like a little cheesy to think, you know, that, you know, I'm looking for a Facebook like from God or a Twitter heart from God. I mean, you know, God's the Lord of the universe. Of course, I want to try to love God, but I mean, for him to like, just like me, it, it feels a little, a little cheesy, I guess. Sure. Yeah. And I think it could feel a little cheesy. Um, But I also like it's not it's not just a platitude, though. Like it's not it's not just a surface 
um, or wouldn't you feel all warm and fuzzy if God actually liked you? I mean, how do you know when someone likes you? Well, they, they want to be with us. Right. They want to be with us. We seem to have a good time when we're together. Yeah. We communicate well. Um, we enjoy the same things together. Right. Uh, we laugh. We talk. We hang out. Right. Right. And so if we actually look at the overarching narrative of Scripture, we see that at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, what God was doing was he was creating a home for he and humanity to dwell together, that he wanted from the very beginning to be with us. And then if we read all through Scripture to its very end in Revelation, we see that at the end of all things, God himself will dwell with his people once again, and that forever we'll be together. So all through Scripture, when we read with this narrative and with this theme that God wants to be with humanity, we start to see it all over the place. And so it's not just a um, feel-good, happy feeling of, oh boy, God wants to be my friend, but it's actually God created us to belong in his presence, um, that he's wanted to be with us from the beginning and wants to be with us. That's the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story, and it's everything in between. And so even though we as people keep turning away from God's presence, God keeps pursuing, keeps initiating, keeps offering his presence over and over again to his people. The book is titled, Does God Really Like Me? Discovering the God Who Wants to Be With Us. We're talking to co-author Sid Holsclaw. Sid, if we don't believe what you're saying, if we think that God doesn't like us, if we think that he is disappointed or he's not filled with joy or happiness to be with us, what is the end result of that? Well, um, I mean, if we go back to um, A.W. Tozer said that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, and then C.S. Lewis kind of followed that up later with what we think about God is what we think God thinks about us is equally as important because it affects everything about what we think about the world. So in our pastoral ministry, I think people often ask questions that can fall into sort of three general categories of like, who is God? And then who am I? And then what is life about? And so when we answer that question of who is God, well, he's angry, vindictive, vengeful, um, wrathful, or distant, that very much affects how we answer the question of who am I? Mm, Um, I think a lot of us live our lives filled with shame because we feel like we have failed. um, We feel guilty. um, We feel like we're a constant disappointment. And then out of that flows, well, what is life about? If life becomes about avoiding Um, anger or avoiding disappointment, that really is such a a small thing compared to what God has actually invited us into, which is to participate with Him in His purpose of flourishing life and blessing the world. And so when we answer the question, who is God, and we don't see Him as a loving Father and a King, um, then we can't also see ourselves as beloved children who belong in His presence, but also as empowered ambassadors sent to, you know, uh, continue to extend the kingdom in his name. And so life loses a lot of meaning, and I think it becomes painful, shallow, to not feel like you have a significant purpose, to not feel like you belong anywhere. And God never intended for us to feel like outcasts who are unwanted and don't have anything important to do. Mm. That's excellent. So, Sid, but for a lot of this, right, I mean, I think the large majority of people walking around, we dislike ourselves, Right, we absolutely right. Our, our shame, our our hatred towards each other, our dissatisfaction, right. with I mean, our performance. You know, therapist offices are filled with people like that right. all day, every day. So it's hard to sort of you know go. Well, God likes me, even though I think I'm wretched and I hate myself. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think God wants to heal us from our feelings of wretchedness and that, you know, because he's always glad to be with us, because he wants to be with us, um, our brains can actually literally be rewired in his gladness to be with us as he attunes to us. If we know that we're seen and known and understood by God and that he's actually glad to be with us, that can actually rewire our brains. Um, if you, We do include a little bit of neuroscience in the book, too, but um, just being able to sort of reattach with God, because a lot of us have pain from our own childhoods, from our parents, from traumatic experiences, and um, God is willing to heal all of that through offering us His presence and offering us His purpose. And He can literally renew our minds, like if we see in Romans, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And and by offering His presence and finding connection with Him, we can actually be healed of a lot of that trauma and wounding that we all walk around with that does make us feel like we're unwanted and unloved and unworthy. Talking with Sid Holsclaw, she's co-written with her husband the book, Does God Really Like Me? Discovering the God Who Wants to Be With Us. Okay, so Sid, you, you and John were talking just now about dysfunction in our past that causes us to look at ourselves harshly. But what about uh-huh. when looking at ourselves harshly is appropriate? What about when we've really screwed up? What about if we've treated people badly? What if we have performed less than we should have? What if we've done and said things that we shouldn't have done and said? God still likes you? Uh, okay, well, yes, I would say he does. And he's always inviting us into more, always inviting us into a deeper. He offers us the way of life, but he's never going to force or coerce us to walk that path. So we can all choose to walk the way of death anytime we want to. And when we do, God is always extending the invitation to come back, to turn back to Him. We are always welcome in His presence. And of course, as we become more and more convinced that we belong in His presence, it brings us more and more grief when we leave the path of life and when we do um, do things that are, that are not life-giving, that are not blessing to others. And so it is appropriate for there to be repentance and for there to be remorse. But there's a difference between coming to God and saying, I realize what I did. I'm so sorry. And understanding that God is right there, like he was like the father and the prodigal son, ready to embrace us, ready to receive us. And there's a difference between that and and saying, I have blown it and I will never be welcome in God's presence again because he is so disgusted with me that he's 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 going to give up on me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of us have felt in relationship with God is how could he possibly ever take me back? Yeah. I've right. just blown it. Right. And so that's the difference between having a loving parent and having an abusive parent or a parent who's unstable is that right. if, if you have a loving parent, they can still discipline you while at the same time loving you. And but, be consistent. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. So, so Sid, you just said, you know, uh, to, we choose to walk the way of death. I mean, that's, that's a very stark uh, sentence, to walk the way of death. And I think that's the way the world is, right? I mean, the, the world is surrounded by death. We are in despair, and, and we celebrate that. We live in a culture of death. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's shocking to think about the life of Christ, the, the new life of Christ, and how even as believers we reject that more often than not, especially from a, a worldly perspective. I mean, you know, 99.9% of the world does not want or know or care but it's hard to live in that, it, it, to, to be surrounded by that darkness and to think about God liking me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It is hard. 
But I think it's also really significant that, you know, God doesn't just say to us, hang on until the end, and then I'll save you from all of it. Yeah. Um, he also says, I've saved you for life right now where you are, and I want to partner with you in flourishing life everywhere you go. You know, so in our own places, in our own circles, I mean, by the power and presence of God with us, with the Holy Spirit, we actually have the ability to bring blessing and life in our workplaces, in our stay-at-home yeah. yeah, momming, okay. in our, you know, in everything that we do. God is saying, I want to bring all my kids home, right? And so the more we are able to extend the life that we've received um, to others just by trying to bless the life that God has created in all people and in all places, there is, there is God has saved us for now right? There's life now. He not only wants to be with us, but he also wants to extend life to others through us. That's good. That's yeah. an encouragement, Sue. Yeah. Really, that's yeah. a, and thank you for being with us, sharing this. Um, I have to say, I was not convinced at the beginning, but I think the way, <laughs> I wasn't, but I think as you've explained it, as you've as you have linked it to the scriptures that I know, that I've read before, I see, okay, I mean, I get this, and I see how it can make a significant difference. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's our that's our prayer. Okay, so, it's terrific. Well, the book is yeah. called Does God Really Like Me? Discovering the God Who Wants to Be With Us. We've been talking to Sid Holsclaw. She wrote the book with her husband, Jeff Holsclaw. It's also a book with a terrific cover. It's beautiful. Yeah. Sid, thanks an awful yeah, lot. We enjoyed the you. conversation. Thank you. Good to be with you. When you're searching for a new mattress, you may be faced with a choice between a traditional inner spring or a memory foam mattress. But you don't have to choose. You can get the active support of a high-quality inner spring with the comfort of memory foam in the new hybrid mattresses from the original Mattress Factory. With two new hand-built hybrid models to choose from, you can expect the latest in sleep innovation at the same high-quality and factory-direct pricing you come to expect from the original Mattress Factory. Visit OriginalMattress.com to learn more. When the original Mattress Factory first opened for business, we offered mattresses that were the same quality as the mainstream brands, but at a fraction of the cost. Our Factory Direct model made it easy for customers to understand they were getting a great value. But over the last few decades, the mainstream mattress brands have made major cuts to quality, while the original Mattress Factory's quality has only improved. And we still cost less than those other brands. We know that all sounds too good to be true. That's why we're inviting you to stop by one of our stores or factory locations to see the original Mattress Factory difference for yourself. Remember those 300-piece some assembly required toy sets? The ones your kids loved, but you were too proud to use the instructions. Yeah, you figured it out, eventually. The looks on their faces were worth it, but you listened to your wife the next time when she told you to just read the manual. Some assembly is required for retirement, too. It may not always be fun, but it matters. And that's why Accurate Solutions Group invites you to a dinner workshop to talk about retirement's most common concerns, things like taxes, Social Security, if you have too much money in the market, and much more. Seating is limited, so pick the date that works for you by calling to register today. Call or text RSVP to 412-515-0005. That's 412-515-0005. Start assembling your retirement plan with help from Accurate Solutions Group. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC. The message, Liberty Mutual Insurance, customizes your coverage so you only pay for what you need, is brought to you by Liberty Mutual Insurance where you can customize your coverage so you only pay for what you need. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty.
I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. My love language is sarcasm. This year, resolve to laugh a little more. Which is perfect because my wife's is uh, words of affirmation. Word FM presents Date Night with comedian Marty Simpson. She's like, honey, you don't even have to mean it. You just have to say it and shower me with praise. I was like, Oh, welcome back. Valentine's Day at Christchurch at Grove Farm in Swigley. This food that you cooked, did you follow the recipe or did you just... General admission, just $30 at wordfn.com slash date night. Because I'm telling you, it is fantastic. Ask Alexa to play the word Pittsburgh to hear us there. We're on your Google speaker too. Plus iHeart, tune in and on radio.com. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. Tonight, rain at times, low 35. Tomorrow, rain and drizzle, high 46. Tomorrow night, plenty of clouds with a little rain becoming mixed with and changing to some snow or flurries as it becomes colder. Little or no accumulation, but watch for slick spots, low 30. Friday, cloudy, breezy, and colder with snow showers, high 31. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. Hey, Marty Simpson is with us. Word FM annual date night, February 14th, Christ Church at Grove Farm. Do not miss this. Marty's a very funny guy. Hey, Marty, that's a, that's a tough mantle to have as being a very funny guy, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a lot of fun to be introduced as the funny guy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, Undue pressure. a burden, really, that you have to carry around. Mm-hmm. It's like, dance, dance, show pony. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you, do you ever say, I am not your circus dog? Do you ever say that to anybody? No, I, I mean, people are always like, oh, you're a comedian, tell us a joke, you know, and I'm kind of like, oh, what do you do? You're a doctor, write me a prescription, you know. Uh, rough. That's a good point. No, that's a good point. <laughs> we, we don't make everybody do their thing when we're talking to them, but no, we're no. making Marty do his thing. Right, we walk around with headphones all the time. Right. I'm always interviewing people, like in the checkout line, wherever. Right. What do you got, lady? Right. What's going like, on, oh, you're a, radio, you're a radio guy, can you record my voicemail for you? Uh, yeah. Right. Nobody Hi, does this that. W N O K. Marty Simpson. All right, Marty. Leave I want to hear. I want to hear about the first time you did a stand-up thing. Like, did you did you have a joke you told to somebody at, like Thanksgiving when you were nine, or you know what was like you, when you look back your first act? You're talking about not the first time I held a microphone with a crowd in a comedy club, but right. like what what was the descendant? like way back exactly like forefather of why it all happened okay um i think that it was probably going to be traced back to my brother won what would be called the mr spring valley pageant which was a mock like parody of miss america pageant for our high school and parody of the miss spring valley pageant where they played the piano they sang it was serious and um, the Mr. Spring Valley pageant was mostly guys lip syncing Rolling Stones songs and, you know, wearing a shirt occasionally and running around on stage and not having any talent. Or anything. But my brother was super talented, played the piano and, and was just an awesome, talented person. And he dressed up like Dolly Parton and uh, wore a wig and then put balloons in his shirt to mm-hmm. represent accuracy for Dolly Parton. And then while he was playing the piano as Dolly Parton, pretended to not be able to see the keys uh over the balloons with his hands and like messed up and then sang nine to five and he won got a standing ovation when i was in like fifth or sixth grade and i thought man that's that's kind of cool what he just did there and so when i got into the ninth or tenth grade i said i want to be 
in the Mr. Spring Valley pageant because it was like 400 people leaping to their feet for my brother. And so I had seen Evening at the Improv. I don't know if that's dating me or y'all remember that show, Evening oh, sure. at the Improv. Yeah, yeah. But we saw, yeah, I saw a guy juggle and do some, uh, do a scarf dance, like, um, to some classical music. And I told my dad, I was like, I think I can do this. And so I, I quite literally plagiarized the entire thing and copied this guy's act, uh, letter for letter. And it's online. You can see it on my website. Kind of, you can go to my YouTube channel and scroll back in there. And uh, I won Mr. Sophomore and Mr. Grand Talent. And, um, uh, that was the first time I actually stood on a stage and told a joke or two. Wow. And I remember, um, the previous year, they asked questions at the pageant, you know, like, well, you know, and then some things got said that were inappropriate the previous year on those impromptu questions by other contestants. And so the principal made a rule that you had to uh, submit your, what your answer the question was going to be ahead of time this year for my year. And so that was technically my very first joke writing because the question was, um, what is the wildest side of your personality? And so everybody was just saying, I surf, I do whatever, whatever. And I wrote uh, this answer was, it's not, it's not my top side or my bottom side or my left side or my right side. Um, and I'm not down by the wayside or by the riverside or by your bedside. Uh, it's not my north side or south side. But if you put all that aside, well, the answer to the question is I just couldn't decide. You know what? That's pretty good, so Mr. Sophomore. Was- yeah, it was. It, I, I was proud of it. <laughs> it was kind of silly, but uh, th- so that would be it. And then, I think being very sarcastic and and mean as a school teacher in Christian school was probably the other impetus for it all. Because the students begged me for nine years while I taught to do stand up comedy. Because I guess I just was that teacher that quit doing lesson plans after like a year or two, and uh, not knowing what I was going to teach when I was in the classroom. So I distracted them. Uh, by being funny, I think, is sort of what happened. <laughs> the quality Christian education you can trust from former teacher Marty Simpson. <laughs> uh, it's Word FM's that annual is... date night. It's a night of laughs at Christchurch at Grove Farm in Swickley, Friday, February 14th, featuring comedian Marty Simpson. Marty, we can't wait. See you soon. All right. I can't wait to see you guys. WORD. Playing Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music on the weekend. With the best new music. New New music. Anchor. New music from Skillet. Corey Asbury with The Father's House. You're in the Father's House. And Taryn Wells with Like You Love Me. The best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites. Sponsored by Trinity Jewelers. 101.5 WORD on the weekend. The team at MyPillow is grateful for you. So grateful, they have an amazing offer. Buy one, get one on their incredible sheet sets. Mike Lindell has come out with the world's most comfortable bed sheets. He finally found the best cotton in the world in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all come together to create the ideal weather conditions for growing cotton. His new Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with this long staple cotton and he guarantees they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. The first night you sleep on my sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. The Giza Dream Sheets are available in a variety of
plenty of colors, and like all of Mike's products, they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Right now, you can buy one, get one free, by calling 800-391-0954 and use promo code WORD. For a limited time, you can buy one, get one free. Call 800-391-0954 or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure to use the promo code WORD. Ready for a bus ride from hell to heaven? Then don't miss the theatrical event of the season, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Audiences call it breathtaking, absolutely mesmerizing. From the producers of the nationwide hit The Screwtape Letters, The Great Divorce brings the beloved author of Narnia to the stage in one of his most entertaining tales ever. Climb on board for a day trip to paradise. Critics call The Great Divorce world-class theater. Brilliant, magical, a joy to watch. Lewis's lively wit shines through. Don't miss The Great Divorce. Visit C.S. Lewis on stage.com that's cs lewis on stage.com the bus is leaving climb on board coming to the biome theater in pittsburgh saturday february 15th get your tickets today with great deals for groups at the great divorce on stage.com that's the great divorce on stage.com for your next event instead of worrying about catering to your guests why not just enjoy them the cooked goose catering company provides homemade satisfaction that puts you at ease whatever the occasion like their roast beef and stuffed chicken breast with mashed or roasted potatoes and green beans, just $10.95 a person. Visit cookedgoosecatering.com slash word and see what's cooking. The Cooked Goose Catering Company, just good food. Isn't it interesting, John, to watch how art mirrors culture or perhaps reveals it? is a better term to use. I watched the Grammys that were aired last week, and um, I noticed something that in the broadcast reminded me of a lot of the music videos, current music videos that I've seen, which is that there's this type of... this type of inhumanity that is part of that artistic field right now, that artistic presentation. So for many years, whatever women there are who are in current music videos, for the most part, they're not there to be a human person. They're there to be a sexual object for a man. An ornament. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's all they're there for, Um, which is certainly disturbing and upsetting and and gives the exact wrong image for both boys and girls as they grow up and watch these things. Especially in the hashtag Me Too era, right? We're supposed to be in a new era. It's completely inappropriate, and it is an in its essence, dehumanizing. Right, debasing. Right. There's also, though, something weird happening where it, there's like a there's like a robotic element also, or a little bit of like an android presentation. AI? Yeah, something like that, which is influencing music now. And, um, and again, it, it shows to me that there's something about our culture which has lost its appreciation or even acknowledgement of the fact that there's something particular about the human. There's Mm -hmm. something to be honored about the human. Of God within us. Yes, there's something about that. Mm -hmm. Well, our friend Owen Strand is back with us, and he's written a brand new book called Re-Enchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. Owen is Associate Professor of Christian Theology, Director of the Center for Public Theology, and Director of the Residency PhD Program at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Owen, welcome back. 
thank you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Okay, so what do you say about that? Do you see artistic representations of something that you see as a deeper problem, a way we're seeing each other as humans? Like this secular age? Yeah, totally. I totally vibe with what you were just saying. And if you look at recent movies, recent films, for example, you can talk about the Grammys as well and these very odd presentations. Um, That's a whole nother level. But if you look at the films, uh, a number of them anyway, that have captivated audiences in recent years, there are a number that offer kind of cyborg elements or transhumanist elements or even posthumanist post-humanist elements, and they show us that a lot of people today, as we lose sight of our supernatural origins as the human race being made in God's image, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, as we lose that fundamental theological tenet, uh, we're turning more and more to a robotized vision of humanity. And in that vision, we don't have greater meaning and purpose I guess we're, we're undergoing this kind of self-actualization project where we become our best robotic self or something like this, or as you were talking about earlier, Kathy, our best sexualized self. None of this, though, has any deep consonance with the Christian worldview. In fact, it's directly opposed to it, and, and so we've got to make that clear today. So then how does this work, Owen, when we look at this secular age we live in and know that we are, we are formed in the image of God, uh, whether it's art or whether it's the culture itself as gender issues have come upon us where, where people are you know, clinging to the trans lifestyle and all that, right? We have sort of cut ourselves off from the image of God and trying to reimagine ourselves into something more or greater or less than. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. It's We're trying to transcend our humanity, and we don't recognize that God has already made our humanity cosmically significant. Mm-hmm. So we're made as the image of God, by God himself, or the apex of his creation on the sixth day. And so we bear uh, a truly divine meaning, in a sense, a properly understood sense, right? We're not God himself, of course, we can't be, we're a creature, and yet God himself made us and made us a little tiny reflection of him. But sinful humanity, a humanity that has fallen, per Genesis 3, wants to be great, but to be great without God. We want to be significant, but to be significant without God. We want to be powerful and famous and sexualized, or whatever it is our heart quests after, and without God. So we pursue God-likeness in sinful ways. When the Scripture is calling us back, A, to see that we're made in God's image fundamentally, every person, I believe, is an image bearer. So the image of God, in other words, isn't something that waxes and wanes in a person. It's not something that some people have a lot of and other people don't have. When you're looking at an elderly person in a nursing home who is dying and can't care for themselves, you're looking at an image bearer. When you're looking uh, at at an ultrasound of a little tiny 26 week-old baby in a mother's womb, you're looking at an image-bearer developing. When you're looking at your spouse across the table, the same spouse you've seen for 25 years and you have to work through stuff with on a weekly basis, you're looking at an image-bearer. So our culture denies the image of God, and then our culture also denies, secondly, B, that uh, we need to be remade supernaturally, salvifically, through Christ, who is the true image. Adam is the image, but Christ is the true image of God, Romans 8, 29. So there's a lot to put on the table here. Suffice it to to say, people around us uh, don't want to acknowledge either of those Mm -hmm. biblical truths. Mm -hmm. 
Owen Strand with us, the new book, Reenchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. Owen, talk to us about uh, reading Charles Taylor's A Secular Age and his concept of enchantment. Yeah, this is a concept you find in Taylor. You find it in Roger Scruton, the great conservative philosopher who just died. And basically, uh, from a Christian worldview, I saw this concept and did what every good uh, young intellectual does. I just stole it. I stole it out. Sure. <laughs> That's what we respect about you, Owen. I, <laughs> I didn't actually plagiarize. I cite them, so so I'm being so it's silly. But, but I realized that was a great way of talking about yeah. humanity. What has happened with paganism and secularism is that people think of themselves as just a clump of cells. And we hear this commonly applied, for example, to the pro-life cause. Uh, a, a fetus in the womb is a clump of cells. You can deconstruct it if you want. You can birth it if you want. But it's a, again, it's a clump of cells. That is a disenchanted vision of humanity. We need a re-enchanted vision of humanity where we understand that every human person is fully an image bearer first, and then that we need to be truly, selfishly remade by Jesus Christ, because we are destined for hell, uh, and we need his, his cross, the blood of his cross, to wash over us and make us clean. When that happens, we live with God for all eternity, and now we truly are living for what God in, intended us to know and to live for. So as our conversation started, Owen, we were talking about an outward image of a secular representation of, of what God might be or not, right? Uh, the, the, whether it's the Grammys or whether it's, you know, you see the images everywhere, and uh, some people are leaning forward into that. Other people are repelled to that. But it's also what you're talking about is an inward image of God in our lives, right? The idea of the holiness of God in our lives, the sacredness of God in our lives. The, the, the secular world, we've abandoned that. And so whatever is anathema or whatever is the 180 or backwards to good and holy and true, we've embraced that now in a darker and darker world. Yeah, that's nicely said, John. If you reject absolute truth, you don't actually reject truth because you still have to deal with the category. You just become an enemy of truth or an enemy of beauty or an enemy of goodness. That's very relevant to artistic culture and modern American and Western artistic uh, culture, which is rejective, rejected objective standards. That's a hard phrase to say, by the way. It has rejected objective standards yes. of, of beauty, for example, right? But it's people still want to make a lot of money and be famous in these sorts of things. So even as they don't believe in an objective standard of beauty that's ultimately grounded in God himself, um, they, they, will, they will make their living and become very famous by trashing that standard. It's kind of like there's a corollary in how people today talk about their gender identity being non-binary. I'm a non-binary person. When we hear a person say that, we don't want to just, you know, we don't want to scoff at them or something. We want to, to engage them well, share the gospel with them, pray for them. But we also want to recognize they are falling into vain philosophy, what the Bible calls in older translations vain philosophy. In other words, they're just creating a new binary, right? The new binary is non-binary and binary. What I'm trying to say is uh, facts and truth are stubborn things. And even as people trash objective standards of art or of the human person even— they still have to deal with it. In other words, right? If you're rebelling against, if you're rebelling against truth, truth is still setting the agenda. We're talking to Owen Strand, the new book "Reenchanting Humanity: A Theology of Mankind." Owen, let's go back and look at historically how 
uh, men and women have come to grips with, I don't know, what the, what the era is has decided about God. So you mentioned that going back to the era of the Reformation, that the major issue of that time was acceptance. Figuring out in a in a public way, in a community way, how man is forgiven by God, what that mechanism yeah. looks like, what that means for us and how we live and believe and interact with the world, right? So you said that's, that's what the Reformation era was like. You look back yeah. on the 20th century and you say that the question we were asking each other is authority, whether the Bible is actually inerrant. Let's talk about the 20th century and then let's move on to talk about where we are now. Yeah, the major issue that people were asking about and theologians were debating and church people were reading about in the 20th century, as you play it out, there's, there's lots of issues, right? But the major one that, that evangelicals and non-evangelicals as well spend a ton of time thinking about is basically who is our authority and how do we know what that authority w- would have us believe and do? And conservative evangelicals of course, very much promote the doctrine of biblical inerrancy in the late 20th century. Heroic figures like uh, Carl F.H. Henry, Harold Ockengay, Billy Graham, and others take a strong biblical stance, I would say, on that issue, and they promote that we, we must have God as our authority if we are to know how to live. In the 21st century, um, many people around us, though, um, reject both that biblical vision of authority and Correspondingly, they reject any strong understanding of human anthropology. So because lots of people, let's say this a little clearer, because lots of people believe that God is dead, as the mid-20th century uh, emphasized, lots of people in the 21st century believe that man is dead. They believe that God is dead, and so there's no greater authority beyond us. We certainly don't need to look to the outdated book that is the Bible to know how to live and what we should do. And as a result, man is dead. So I don't, I don't have any duties incumbent upon me. No one, no one can tell me how to live. My identity is not defined and structured and laid out for me as a human person, certainly as a man, certainly as a woman. Instead, I create my identity. I make up who I am. I express myself, to use that very common and famous phrase, I express myself. And as I express myself, I'm being authentic and true to myself, so that shows us that, to, to summarize, an earlier age uh, grounded humanity and God and his good desires for us. We today, in 2020, ground humanity in us and mm-hmm. our desires. And that is a very... Okay, so, Owen, so making that, um, I don't know, trying to see what the fruit of that is right now, are you thinking yeah. that the collapse of faith and institutions that we've seen, whether that is people not going to the American Legion anymore or the Eagles or the Knights of Columbus or people going to church irregularly. Um, Do you feel like that there's a connection there? Uh, I definitely think there's a connection there. Um, As you lose interest in a divine figure who has ordered the world and who rules the world and then has given us what we call mediated authority in the church, the home, uh, politics, these kind of institutions. As you lose these connections vertically all the way down, in a lesser sense, yeah, people are going to then live in what some have called liquid modernity, where there's nothing stable in your life, there's nothing fixed, 
You don't have a script for your life. I, ju- I was just looking at stats that now show that uh, the vast majority, or I should say the majority of, of younger people are unmarried, whereas uh, 50 years ago, that was flipped. The vast majority, the majority were married. Um, we can have that whole conversation that there's, there's a different conversation to have about that, but it shows us that especially the younger generation is living a liquid life. Right, and right. many of those people uh, do not believe that there's a script for their identity. They truly believe. They've been told this. They've been taught this. They've, their parents have paid a lot of money for them to learn this concept that, that, that identity is in no sense God-directed or God-formed. It's self-directed, so then, self-formed. It, in conclusion then, Owen, as we come to the end of our time here, what does it mean to be human? Who can we be? What are we intended to be? That answer only is in Christ Jesus. That's your point, yes? That's it. We've got to know the image of God to know what we were created to be, and we've got to be remade in the image of Christ, trusting in Him through saving faith uh, in order to be remade, given the fall, as God desires us to be, to live eternally with Him. That's Owen Strand, the new book, Reenchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. Owen, thanks. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Why does Trinity Jewelers' Mark Helgerman advertise on Word FM? Every year we've grown. Every year has gotten better. I attribute that directly to the advertising. Word FM can give you something that no other station can give you because as Christian brother and sisters, a relationship is formed through that radio and through the advertising, and that person will drive past 20 other jewelers to come and see us. There's no question Word FM has been huge for Trinity George. I mean, we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are if it wasn't for Word FM. It has um, created such a business base for us because it's made us larger than just your neighborhood jeweler. It's made us citywide. I feel like in a lot of cases with other advertising venues that it's more just make the sale, make the sale, get them to advertise, whereas I think at Word... There's no question. I feel like Word FM is committed to making the businesses they advertise for a success. Isn't it time you advertised on Word FM? Call 412-937-1500. You might wonder why Australians always seem so relaxed. Well, it comes down to sleep. And we can sleep like a koala full of gum leaves. So we've invented a solution to your sleep problems. It's called Pronto Sleep. Pronto Sleep is a two-in-one solution that helps you fall asleep and stay asleep. Pronto gently opens your nose to focus breathing so you can relax and fall into the land of Nod. And the built-in scent diffuser delivers a blend of four pure essential oils all night long for a butte sleep naturally. Then Pronto replenishes the oils ready for the next night. Clever, eh? And does it work? Well, in trials, 84% of people with trouble sleeping found Pronto helped them fall asleep. 74% found it help them stay asleep you'll find pronto now at select walgreens amazon or at prontosleep.com pronto sleep is the gift of sleep from australia from RhinoMed, bringing you advanced nasal therapies impact mortgage corp dba cash call mortgage nmls id 128231 equal housing lender not licensed in all states including new york offer not available in washington call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions you see it on TV every day, global turmoil, but these international events help keep interest rates low and may even drive them lower. In response, we at Cash Call Mortgage have lowered our interest rates for the new year, and that's great news for homeowners. If you have a current rate above 2.99%, 
Call us to see how much you can save. If you qualify, we'll even pay your closing costs. And we can close your refi in as fast as 20 days with no upfront deposit. With our low interest rates and no closing costs if you qualify, there's never been a better time to lock in a low rate before it's gone. For a free quote, go to CashCallMortgage.com or call 800-990-6947. That's 800-990-6947. 800-990-6947. Founded in 1794, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of Jesus. Rooted in the Reformed tradition and in relationship with Christ followers from other traditions, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary forms and equips people for ministries familiar and yet to unfold, communities present and yet to be gathered. The seminary offers Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and Doctor of Ministry degrees, plus certificates. Financial assistance is available for full and half-time students who qualify. Learn more at pts.edu. When the earth stands between you and a finished project, you need E&K Excavation. Whether you have to dig it, grade it, drain it, prep it, stabilize it, shape it, clear it, or dispose of it, E&K Excavation has over 100 years of combined experience and a fleet of heavy equipment to help you bend it to your will. They can handle any size project for your home or business, providing quality results on time and on budget. For a free quote, visit ekexcavation.com. They'll move the earth for you at ekexcavation.com. Well, you don't tune in here for political talk, thank goodness, because we really try not to delve into it. But, of course, uh, the Senate just voted here. The, uh, the, the votes just were counted in maybe 10 minutes or so ago. Uh, Article 1, abuse of power, not guilty, 52 to 48. Article 2, obstruction of Congress, not guilty, 53 to guilty, 47. I mean, holy smokes. We live in such a superficial world. Do we not? I mean, I have tried to, and I, my guess is a lot of you have as well. I've tried to keep myself at arm's length from this because this whole thing just stinks in every conceivable way. And I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. It just stinks. The whole thing is just mired in the messiness of what it is to be in that bubble in Washington, D.C. Seriously. I mean, you, you think about the people that we vote in. They're just regular people, right? They're just just people like you and I. And then all of a sudden they ascend to this role of lawmakers. And then year after year, and in many cases, decade after decade, they assume some sort of godlike power, it feels, as though they're better than us, as though their wealth and privilege that they've accumulated by their presence in the Senate has given this deeper meaning to their lives. It just, it drives me crazy. Politics is a deep and ugly and dirty business. And I wish we lived in a world, but of course we don't. You have to rule. And uh, I truly do believe, as superficial as it is, this is still, in America, the greatest system to govern. I do believe that, and I think most of you do as well. But boy, oh boy, the last few weeks, top last night with the State of the Union address and, of course, all the punch and judy show around that what a mess now that it's over and i you know well when it was over as i'm watching the the tape uh, go by on tv and all the senators were coming out of the session i thought to myself you know they need to go out and have a, a dinner and a drink together they need to just sort of sit down and look each other eye in the eye democrat or republican and have a conversation but the level of vitriol and hatred is so deep 
And before they left that whole session, before the joint session, they should have stopped. And instead of, you know, Chief Justice Roberts hitting the gavel, they should have prayed once again. They started early on with a prayer. Well, why not end with a prayer to ask for forgiveness, to ask for grace, to ask for strength, to ask for God's healing power on this great land of ours? Because we truly do need it. Again, whether you are Democrat or Republican, we need God in this more than ever. Because left to our own devices, we are sick and dirty. And we've shown that over these past couple of weeks, how brutal we are to to each other. So, pray for unity. Pray for peace. On your radio at 101.5 WORD-FM Pittsburgh at wordfm.com. The Word FM mobile app by heart, tune in, and at radio.com. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. The Senate now voting on the articles of impeachment against President Trump. Article 1, abuse of power, has been voted on and the president is acquitted. 52 voting not guilty, 48 guilty. The next vote on Article 2, obstruction of Congress, is now underway. More results from the Iowa caucus trickle in. Pete Buttigieg continues to lead over Bernie Sanders. Healthcare and financial companies led a broad rally on Wall Street today, giving the market its third straight gain. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ closing at all-time highs. The latest gains came as another batch of solid corporate earnings reports and more encouraging economic data overshadowed concerns about the Chinese virus. The Dow gained 483 points today. The Nasdaq up 40, and the S&P picked up 37. This is SRN News. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. Out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course, windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip down when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company at windowsruspittsburgh.com. Mention Word FM for an additional 10% off at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsruspittsburgh.com. How does Eden Christian Academy prepare students for success? Through education that ignites the mind and inspires the spirit from pre-K through 12th grade with over 50 professionally certified full-time teachers and opportunities in sports, the arts, and service to the community with results like SAT scores 200 points over the national average. Schedule a tour at any of Eden's three North Hills campuses and see what the area's largest non-denominational Christian school has to offer at EdenChristianAcademy.org. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's you, Jamie. Don't hang up. You need to hear this. you got to quit wearing that aviator jacket. Nobody's buying it. I'm sorry you have to hear it from me, but at Progressive, we're all about giving it to people straight. That's why we show our rates alongside our competitors' rates. And when you're helping people find great rates, you don't need some jacket to look cool. Just keep rocking that scarf. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. 
Hi, I'm Alistair Begg, and I'd like to personally invite you to join me August 30th to September 6th, 2020, for a week of Christian fellowship and a newfound appreciation for God's creation. Call 855-565-5519 to join us, or visit deeperfaithcruise.com for all the details. Salem Media Group presents the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise, August 30th through September 6th, 2020. Get more details at wordfm.com slash Alaska. An adjustable bed can elevate your sleep experience and make everyday activities like reading and watching TV more comfortable. But not all adjustable beds are created equal. You need one that has the right features for you, along with the power and durability to provide comfort for years to come. At the Original Mattress Factory, we recently improved the quality of our adjustable beds while making them even more affordable. And our new adjustable bases are designed to work with your existing wood, metal, or platform bed. Visit an Original Mattress Factory location to elevate your sleep experience today. Tonight, rain at times low 35. Tomorrow, rain and drizzle high 46. Tomorrow night, plenty of clouds with a little rain becoming mixed with and changing to some snow or flurries as it becomes colder. Little or no accumulation, but watch for slick spots, low 30. Friday, cloudy, breezy and colder with snow showers, high 31. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along today. Listen, uh, Kathy's not with me today. Uh, she is, um, she's been gone for a while. You know, you've been with us uh, in our radio audience for so long, and we, we have been really transparent about our lives. I, I, I think that y- you know us pretty darn well, and... Uh, Late late February, early March, Cass' dad passed away. This was uh, 10 months or so ago, right? I mean, Cass' dad, 11 months ago, Cass' dad passed away. And then on January 2nd, in a shocker, Cass' mom, boom, she was gone literally in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. She was in good health. Uh, she was, Cass had seen her the night before, but there she was. Nanny was, was gone. So within the space of about 10 months, Kath lost both her mom and her dad. And she was just over the moon crazy, of course she was, about both of her parents. They were, they were phenomenal people. Stan. Stan was this guy. Just I, I loved him so much. And Nanny was as sweet as the day is long. A few months before this happened, before, uh, before Nanny passed away in early January, Kath was asked by the Bible League to take a trip. And the Bible League does this once in a while. Well, they'll, they'll reach out and uh, they take three people or so on a trip and you get to see how the Bible League works. It's a beautiful experience. It doesn't cost the Bible League an awful lot because the, the trips are always underwritten. So they're not going to you know use people's money who have given to the Bible League. It's really a, 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 an extremely cost-effective way for allow communicators like CAF to go and see and then to talk about it later on on the air. Anyway. Kath was asked to go, and she agreed. But then Nanny died, and she was deeply torn by this. But she eventually said, okay, this this might be just, you know, I need to go away. So today on our Facebook page on the ride home with John and Kathy, right before Kath left to go on this trip to Indonesia, she wrote this. And I'd like to read this to you because my guess is many of you are not on Facebook, and I get that. So Kath wrote this. Friends, 
I'm taking a trip. It's been just a few weeks since I suddenly lost my most beautiful mom. Nanny was wonderful, clever and generous and brave and faithful, a delight in every way, a joy to be with. It's been such a loss for me, for all of us who love her, that I haven't been able to talk about it on air or write about it online. There's so much to say, and I find that I can't say anything at all. I lost my dad not even a year ago, and right before my mom died, I felt like I was starting to come to grips with it, still missing him so much, but nearly able to take a deep, full breath again. Now, I'm mourning my dad all over again, too, because it's just unthinkable that they are both gone. My parents loved radio, and they taught me to love it. They listened to sports and politics and music and John and me every single day, ultimate listeners. And so, I'm taking a trip, because months ago I said I would and I want to. I'm fortunate that I get to meet people who love Jesus and live on the opposite side of this spinning globe. And a part of me is running away, because life can be irreparably sad, and I still can't catch my breath. So pray that I run toward Jesus instead of away, and that I recognize him in the Indonesian brothers and sisters that I'm on my way to meet. I'll post as I go along, and John and New Mike will have a one great show after another while I'm on the road. And so, peace to all of you, dear listeners. And so today, Kath got on a plane, and she flew from Chicago, Chicago to the Philippines, and then eventually the Philippines to Indonesia. In some ways, to shed her sadness, to look at things from a different perspective. But if you're a new listener, or you've been with us for these many, many years that we've been on air, I'd ask just one thing. Keep Kath in your prayers. Because truly, I've known her and loved her for many years, and she is broken beyond repair, or almost nearly. Your prayers will help to bring her back. So, prayers for Kathy. We'll take a break, and uh, we do have shows in the can. When we know Kath was going to go away, we planned ahead, so we pre-recorded. So this next show we did last week, this next guest, Mental Health in the Church, Let's talk about that in a few minutes. For your next event, instead of worrying about catering to your guests, why not just enjoy them? The Cooked Goose Catering Company provides homemade satisfaction that puts you at ease, whatever the occasion, like their roast beef and stuffed chicken breast, with mashed or roasted potatoes and green beans, just $10.95 a person. Visit cookedgoosecatering.com slash word and see what's cooking. The Cooked Goose Catering Company, just good food. 1.5 WORD playing Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music on the weekends with the best new music. New, new, new music from Micah Tyler. Amen. Come and sing like I will fear no more by the afters. I will trust you. I will fear no more. And Big Daddy Weave with I know. I know that you the best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites. Sponsored by Trinity Jewelers. 101.5 WORD on the weekend. 
When the earth stands between you and a finished project, you need E&K Excavation. Whether you have to dig it, grade it, drain it, prep it, stabilize it, shape it, clear it, or dispose of it, E&K Excavation has over 100 years of combined experience and a fleet of heavy equipment to help you bend it to your will. They can handle any size project for your home or business, providing quality results on time and on budget. For a free quote, visit ekexcavation.com. They'll move the earth for you at ekexcavation.com. I like people. It's why I got into HR. And I like liking people. So even when Kate drops a thousand resumes on my desk, or when three new hires start on the same day, I don't stress. I've got it covered with Bamboo HR, the easy-to-use HR software platform that makes it easy to manage our people data so I can focus on people and not on processes. For hiring, Bamboo HR's applicant tracking software keeps us ahead of the competition by making it simple to evaluate and hire the best applicants. And automated onboarding tools means less forms and more time to create better first days. Plus, simple tracking for employee work hours, paid time off and benefits, along with world-class employee performance and appraisal software. Add it all up, and no matter what the day brings, I still really, really like people. Sign up for a free trial at BambooHR.com slash HR. That's BambooHR.com slash HR. BambooHR.com slash HR. God told Isaiah to walk the earth naked for three years, and here's how much faith Isaiah had. He did it! This Valentine's Day, Word FM presents Date Night with comedian Marty Simpson. Which I think explains the credibility issue Isaiah had with the Old Testament Jews. At Christ Church at Grove Farm in Sewickley. Little kids would come in the house and be like, Mama, Mama, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah. Who told you that? Isaiah told me that. Naked Isaiah tell you that? General admission, just $30 at wordfm.com slash date night. Go to your room. You know how it is when someone comes into your church for the first time. The community is always extremely welcoming in most churches, right? Um, But I think we sort of do ourselves a disservice because, you know, we call the church a place for broken people, which it is. But more often than not, whether it's the new person who shows up at the church or someone that you've been sitting next to in the pew for the last decade or so, they are harboring elements of brokenness. Anxiety. Fear. Uh, ADHD, you Some name more it. significant mental health issue. And if it, and many times, you know, the parents also are echoing the child, and we see that in ourselves that uh, the church is unable to minister to people who have mental illness or mental problems. We just do a poor job of that. So how does that work? I don't know because I don't know how what it would look like to do a good job at it. Dr. Steve Gersovich is with us, and uh, he has written a piece, a brand new book called Mental Health in the Church, a ministry handbook for including children and adults with ADHD, anxiety, mood disorders, and other common mental health conditions. Dr. Gersovich, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. So, Steve, when we think about mental health issues, I think about people in my own church community. I think of, you know, some special needs kids that I know. I think of some adults who've struggled with anxiety over the years or a bipolar disorder or something like that. But here's the thing. The only reason I know about those issues is because those people told me. How do you meet the needs in general or or maybe make your church welcoming enough that people with issues will will tell you what's happening and how you can help. Well, one of the one of the challenges with this is that mental illness is truly what we would think about as a hidden disability. You know, so that you know there there aren't any 
necessarily like any kind of like outward signs that we can point to, you know, to know who's struggling or not. So when, when our ministry, when we work with churches, part of our focus on this is looking at some of the things that they can try to do to be supportive to everyone and not put anyone in a position where they necessarily have a chance have to have to be able to self-disclose because we know that for a variety of different reasons that's very very hard for people to do at church Hmm. steve are we in a mental health epidemic well if you think about if you think about conditions that impact significantly one in five kids and one in four adults in the united states i think it certainly qualifies as an epidemic i mean there were statistics that came out within the last couple of days from the Center for Disease Control that since 2000, there's been a 40% increase in suicide in the United States. So yeah, I think I think we do have a very serious mental health epidemic. And, you know, what people, what people need at a time like this more so than anything else is a relationship with Jesus, you know, and to be in a situation where, you know, where they know him, can grow in faith and be part of a church family. Steve Gersovich is with us, president and founder of Key Ministry. He's a child and adolescent psychiatrist with extensive research experience evaluating medication prescribed to children and teens for ADHD, anxiety, and depression. And uh, we're talking about mental health issues in the church. Now, Steve, I don't want to put the onus on the person with the disability to say, hey, I have bipolar disorder. I am schizophrenic. I I mean, that's awkward. Uh, But I also wonder what it is about the environment of the church that would cause someone to be comfortable enough to come back. Is there something that we're doing that would seem off-putting to someone who has a mental health issue? Well, here's a way of thinking about it, that that there, you know, as we describe in the book, seven significant barriers to people with mental health issues being part of church. You know, one is stigma. Mm. The second one is anxiety. And that oftentimes for folks who, you know, who wrestle with anxiety and tend to overestimate the level of risk entering into a new situation, that's a big challenge. The third would be your capacity for self-control. You know, we had a parent at our church when we began starting our ministry 20 years ago who had said that people in the church think they can tell when a disability ends and bad parenting begins mm-hmm. when they were talking about their experience of trying to find like a place to worship in suburban Cleveland with two young boys with ADHD. You know, so that there, you know, that there are certain ways that we expect to act and you know, people to act and to maintain self-control to be part of church. So, uh, you know, a fourth is um, social communication. You know, if you have a harder time picking up on body language, social cues, you know, interpreting tone of voice, inflection of voice. Churches are intensely social places that can make it, you know, that can make being part of church a lot more difficult. Sensory processing issues are another one. And this is something we think about with people on the autism spectrum, but but sensory processing challenges are oftentimes present in people who have anxiety disorders and ADHD. Social isolation is like another significant barrier in that, like families who have a kid with a significant mental health issue are less likely to be involved in like sports or the other extracurricular activities where families are going to meet other families who are going to invite them to church. They have a harder time finding babysitters, you know, and developing relationships with people who, you know, again, you know, may, you know, invite them to come to a church event or invite them to be part of a small group. 
And then the, the, the seventh and sort of final barrier is like past experience at church. You know, we know that a lot of families that have wrestled with this, you know, may have had negative experiences in the past, and it's very difficult for them to be able to overcome it. Hmm. You, know, so that, you know, so that there are a lot of significant barriers, though some of them have to do with the specific attributes associated with that person's mental health condition. Some of it has to do with our cultural expectations for how we expect people to act and interact, you know, when we gather together as a church. I see. Steve, I've I've never been to a church where mental health issues have been addressed from the pulpit. And and to be honest, I, I don't know if it's really necessary. I mean, I'm going to church to hear the gospel, not to hear someone opine about about mental health issues. I mean, maybe it's just a different arena. Uh, I don't know you, uh, you know, where you would stand in this as a psychiatrist, what your input would be. I mean, is that the role of the church to speak about mental health? Well, it's interesting that Lifely Research about five years ago did a study looking at some of these issues around serious mental illness in church. And as part of this study, they interviewed um, several hundred family members of an adult who either had schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or depression. And when they asked them what the church could do that would be most helpful, the number one answer was to talk about mental health issues in church so that it would be destigmatized and so people would be comfortable, you know, disclosing to one another. Mm-hmm. And so let me give you let me give you an example of how this looks with um a church we've been working with in Greater Cleveland that okay. decided to implement a mental health inclusion strategy. Um so one of the things that they had done and and this is in response to again other lifeway research that showed that 55% of adults who are unchurched believe that people with mental health struggles are not welcome at church, is that they filmed a video and put it out on their Facebook and advertised this that was shot with their founding pastor. And he specifically said, you know, hi, I'm Rick Duncan. I'm the founding pastor of Cuyahoga Valley Church. And I want you to know that if you have a mental health struggle, you're welcome at our church. You know, we understand what it's like. My father was a pastor. He wrestled with depression. You know, we have lots of people who are, you know, seeking to follow Christ who are struggling with these issues, and we know what it's like. You know, and so that was a tool that they put in the hands of, you know, folks who go to the church to be able to share with friends to help dispel some of that stigma. That's good. Um, They did a five-part teaching series this fall on what does the Bible have to say about anxiety. You know, as part of that, at one of their worship services, they actually filmed an interview with one of the guys who was in their worship band who had struggled before with panic disorder and mm-hmm. with agoraphobia. You know, we went in and we did training for all their people in children's ministry and student ministry to help them recognize kids who are struggling and figure out how to support them, you know, as they go about, you know, their participation in those, you know, age-appropriate types of ministries. You know, they had an event where a psychologist was a part of the church, you know, and a pediatrician. They had basically a town hall where they made it open for people, you know, to answer, you know, you know, to ask and answer questions. They have a counselor on staff. They've started like, you know, they've started a Christian-based support group for families who wrestle with mental health struggles. You know, and so, you know, by doing all of these things, I mean, it's really, you know, they're communicating a powerful message to their own people that this is a safe place and it's okay to talk about this. They're also, they're also 
destroying some of the stigma that keeps a lot of people in their community mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. church. That's really good. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful. I mean, I never would even consider no, all the different no. things you've done. Right. And and I guess you you wouldn't, obviously, this is your expertise um, career-wise, but also those people who struggle with whatever it is in the church, those are often the people who are at the forefront of opening up the church to what a particular sufferer deals with. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got involved with this. In the, This is probably 23 years ago now. I was on the elder board of our church. And we had a number of families who, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, brought back kids from orphanages in Russia and Bulgaria, where they had some very complex emotional, behavioral, developmental issues and a lot of trauma. You know, so I'm sitting there listening to, like, the struggles that – and these are, like, you know, very committed, highly committed families in our church, a lot of them in leadership positions. And they were struggling to stay involved with church because of some of the struggles and the challenges that their kids presented. So I went back to my practice, and maybe over the next three months, you know, I was wondering how much of an issue is this for, like, the kind of folks that we're serving and working with? You know, so when people came in for their follow-up visits, I asked them one question. Do the problems that led you to come to our practice impact upon your ability to attend church or a place of worship? And I was floored by some of the stories I heard and some of the stuff that I found out. Okay, so give us—I don't want to violate someone's confidence, yeah. but give us some idea of what you're speaking of. Okay, give you an example. We had a woman, the first time we did a disability-focused worship service on a Sunday, we had a family. Um, they had two sons. One was seven, one was five, and these boys had severe ADHD. And the parents were talking about their struggle in finding a church to attend in suburban Cleveland mm-hmm. with two young boys with these issues. And then the comment the mom made was that people in the church think they can tell when a disability ends and bad parenting begins. Hmm. You know, so that for something that's very much a hidden disability, oftentimes, you know, you know, parents come in with a kid and, you know, and they see people sort of glaring at them, hmm. looking at them. You know, they worry that they're making assumptions. Well, they don't care about their kids. They don't take the time to parent. They don't take the time to discipline them. Um and so that, you know, that oftentimes that makes it, you know, very uncomfortable for people looking for a church. Had another situation where, um, where I had a family that I was asked to see who came from out of state. The dad was a pastor. They adopted a five-year-old boy who had been through fairly severe trauma. And after this boy punched the son of another guy on the elder board, dad got fired. Because they didn't, you know, their interpretation is you don't have, you know, you're not exercising control and spiritual leadership in your own home. When, when in fact, they were stepping up to the plate, you know, God has oh, led gosh. them to, you know, to, to care for, sure, you know, a sure. child who had been through some very significant trauma. Gosh. Okay, so that's just ignorance speaking. Right. Hmm. Or Okay, so it, I used to attend a church where occasionally they would do testimonies where people would get up and talk about, you know, this is my life. And and years ago, somebody said, you know, my child is suffering through something. And the whole church got to understand from mm-hmm. someone's perspective what was going on in their life and their child's life. All right, so it wasn't a sermon no. from the pulpit. It was just like a... A little insight, yeah. right? Someone was being transparent about the you know their own struggles. Mm-hmm. And it, it helped me look at that person and that family. It gave me an insight into, you know, what their day-to-day life was like. I, I think that's necessary. I think we need to do more of that. And, and clearly, what you're talking about, Dr. Gersovich, you know, that hidden stigma, it doesn't do anybody any good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the places, you know, Rick and Kay Warren have been at the forefront. Oh, of yeah, this. sure. And their openness in terms of talking about the struggles that they had before and after their, you know, their son Matthew committed suicide. I mean, it's had like a very, very powerful effect on a lot of people in the church. That's really good. So like I said, I mean, I've never heard of mental illness preached from the pulpit. From But what the model you yes. described was excellent. I mean, I could see how many, many churches would want to pick that thread up. Well, yeah, absolutely. And it can be something as small. Like there was another church that we were training at. It was a very large church last spring. And it's something as simple. Um, you know, the, the, the pastor came out and started the service and, you know, and they were getting ready for, you know, you know, ready for the pastoral prayer. And he said, I want to start off today by praying for anyone here who's struggling with depression. Something as simple as that. Mm, just an acknowledgement. Yeah. But, 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 you know, but, but something, you know, something that simple gives people permission to talk about, you know, their own struggles mm-hmm. and, 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 and it communicates to them that God values them too. That's excellent. That's really good. Well, Steve, thanks for being with us today. The book is called Mental Health and the Church, a ministry handbook for including children and adults with ADHD, anxiety, mood disorders, and other common mental health conditions. Author, Steve Gersovich. Ready for a bus ride from hell to heaven? Then don't miss the theatrical event of the season, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Audiences call it breathtaking, absolutely mesmerizing. From the producers of the nationwide hit The Screwtape Letters, The Great Divorce brings the beloved author of Narnia to the stage in one of his most entertaining tales ever. Climb on board for a day trip to paradise. Critics call The Great Divorce world-class theater. Brilliant magical, a joy to watch. Lewis's lively wit shines through. Don't miss The Great Divorce. Visit cslewisonstage.com. That's cslewisonstage.com. The bus is leaving. Climb on board. Coming to the Bayam Theater in Pittsburgh, Saturday, February 15th. Get your tickets today with great deals for groups at thegreatdivorceonstage.com. That's thegreatdivorceonstage.com. As an intentional parent, you're talking to your kid often, right? about what is good, what is true, what is right. It's always, you know, you're, you're a teacher. There are lessons before you in every facet of your life. Then when your kids reach a certain age, you talk about, at least we did in our family, about serving a higher purpose in your faith with Christ, in your community, with your friends, your family. What is your higher purpose? When we first went on campus at Grove City College, we saw firsthand the faculty, the staff, the students who are already there studying that leaning forward, mm-hmm. that intentionality of a higher purpose at Grove City College. Yeah, of doing your best, yes. right? And if you have kids who want to learn what it means to do their best and offer their best in their work, in their personal life, you need to find a school that can deliver on that, right? So when they're asking the questions, you have a school who's got the answers. And that's what I love about Grove City. They're not going to give you this pat, you know, simple Christian answer. They're going to invite you into a path of scholarship, of discipleship, of community, and it could be exactly what you're looking for and what your kids are looking for. That's the conversation in the classroom, on the campus, all around Grove City College to be in a higher purpose. Look online, gcc.edu. That's Grove City College. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. 
on your smart speaker by saying, play the word Pittsburgh, and on your phone via the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and at Radio.com. Today, rain at times, low 35. Tomorrow, rain and drizzle, high 46. Tomorrow night, plenty of clouds with a little rain becoming mixed with and changing to some snow or flurries as it becomes colder. Little or no accumulation, but watch for slick spots, low 30. Friday, cloudy, breezy, and colder with snow showers, high 31. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. I count myself very fortunate because I have a big brother. You got a big brother. I think you're way ahead of the game. I got a big brother. He's six years older than me. Now, of course, I also have five sisters, and that's a whole other story. But that big brother, six years ahead of me, man, what a blessing. When I was about six and he was 12, he started to allow me to kind of, you know, hang out with him and his guys. And they would go to this place called Sally's Newsstand. And Sally's Newsstand really wasn't a newsstand, my memory of it all is. What I remember is, it was basically two pinball machines, and this woman, Sally, now I was six, so she looked to me like she was 95, and the pinball machines, a little glass countertop, and maybe some old penny candy. I don't, you know, looking back, I wonder how Sally ever made a living, but I got to tell you, the hours that I spent there, the countless hours of watching my brother and his friends play pinball was such a thrill. Now, years later, I mean, you know, when you play pinball, it's one of those things that sort of gets into you. It's so deeply analog, and it is so far away from video games today. The the, the joy of, of holding on to a machine and moving that machine and using your body weight, your fingers, your wrists, all that. It's sort of like a little chunk of poetry in a way. Because you're trying to manipulate this silver ball. And, of course, you know, the Who with the rock opera, Tommy, all that has been well-trod ground. But maybe 10 years ago, one of my boys said, hey, Dad, could we go play pinball? So we looked online, of course, and there are about four different places here in the city of Pittsburgh that have pinball machines. Like, not just two, like Sally's newsstand, but 10, 20 in a place. And so you go from place to place. You throw a quarter or two in the machine. Listen, if you've never played pinball, especially if you've never played pinball with your kids, it's highly recommended. I love it so much. And so I say this because I'm thinking about my wife's out of town, and I got a boy, and tonight we're going to go play some pinball. So anyway, just something to think about. If you want to get rid of the video games or get away from them, at least for a while, yeah, go play some pinball. I love you, a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around the neck. Hi there, it's me, Marsha, at the Springhouse. Don't you just love an old-fashioned love song like that? We sure do love old-fashioned at the Springhouse, too. Old-fashioned values, well-loved antiques, and old-time family recipes. So that's exactly what we'll be cooking for you and your sweetheart on the upcoming Valentine's Day Sweetheart Dinner. Grilled marinated flank steak, celebration chicken Romano, Pearl's cheesy potatoes, buttered steamed green beans, reunion salad, your choice of a from scratch dessert, 
Bev's Brown Rolls, and Pink Lemonade. How's that sound for old-fashioned goodness? We'll light the candles and serve you on China as you enjoy live music by beloved local musician Bob Podish. Call 724-228-3339 to reserve your seat or go to springhousemarket.com for details. Founded in 1794, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of Jesus. Rooted in the Reformed tradition and in relationship with Christ followers from other traditions, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary forms and equips people for ministries familiar and yet to unfold, communities present and yet to be gathered. The seminary offers Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and Doctor of Ministry degrees, plus certificates. Financial assistance is available for full and half-time students who qualify. Learn more at pts.edu. 2020 is the year your business is going to thrive. Or will it? Resolve to use digital marketing to your advantage with the help from the pros at Salem Surround. We give you all the right tools to surround your target audience and turn website visitors into website leads. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your digital presence and learn how to get your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Elevate your leadership game at the L3 One Day Conference. A day to grow your leadership, your network, your future. 8 to 4, Friday, March 13th at the Marriott Pittsburgh North and Cranberry. Join L3 leadership founder Doug Smith, nationally known master communicator Jeff Henderson, and Pittsburgh business leaders Laura Ellsworth, Greg Weimer, and Bill Strickland, who will inspire and train you and your team to reach your maximum potential. The L3 One Day Conference, Friday, March 13th. Register while you can at l31day.com. One out of every six women is the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. Women are disproportionately likely to be victims of assault. People of color suffer higher levels of sexual assault than white people. Misogyny is a major issue in the church as it was during the time of Jesus' ministry. Patriarchy and sexual abuse are linked, and secrecy allows the evils of sexual abuse to flourish. These statements are bold, and they speak to the times in which we live. We've invited Ruth Everhart to speak to us. Ruth is an author, a speaker, and a pastor who's served PCUSA churches for more than 20 years. She's the author of Chasing the Divine in the Holy Land and the Christianity Today award-winning memoir, Ruined, which chronicles her own experience of sexual assault. Ruth, we're happy you're here. Welcome. Thanks. I'm pleased to be here. So, Ruth, you are a survivor of both sexual assault and sexual harassment, and you write in your book that you've done the deep work of processing your own stories. Now, I would assume, I have not been the victim of either, but I would assume that that's uh, uh, the place you have to start before you reach out to someone else who's suffered similar things. Well, um, that's right. That's right. Although, you know, healing is always a process, and so one never wants to say they're completely done. Yeah, right, right. So you don't, want to say, right, you, don't, you don't want to say you're finished or good to go. Exactly. Or to say that someone has to be finished before they can be of use to, mm, yeah. you know, a sister victim or survivor. But the processing, at least having a significant level of, I don't know, progress, I guess might be the right word, um, that you go through allows you the type of tools, I would think, to recognize someone else who's a similar sufferer. That's right. You can recognize their pain and uh, be present to it without um, feeling that 
uh, it's going to overwhelm you because it's just unmanageable because you do know you can survive it because you have. Mm-hmm. Now, Ruth, when you heard about hashtag me too for the very first time, I don't know how many years ago that was, maybe just a few. four, yeah. maybe four years ago. Um, we usually date that in the fall of 2017. Okay. 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 So fall of 2017. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're working on two to three years ago. Um, what did you think? Did you think, oh, this is just going to be a passing fad? Or was it cataclysmic? Well, it felt more cataclysmic to me. I happened to be leading a, a seminar on this very topic of how the church should respond to sexual abuse. I was with a group of clergy in Vancouver, British Columbia, the weekend that Harvey Weinstein's accusations spread across the news media. And so it's really seared into my memory as a pivotal kind of a weekend because here I was working with this group of clergy teaching about the rape of Tamar and all the politics of that biblical story out of Second Samuel, and then spread across the pages of the newspaper with this very current story with some similar dynamics. And I thought, to, and, it, and it opened up the room in a way that was very raw and very emotional, and very current, you might say, uh, like the current of the Holy Spirit going through these current events. And I thought, you know, maybe now society will shift, and maybe now the church will also shift. Now, what we've learned since then, of course, is that the hashtag MeToo reckoning had to move from society to the church. Uh, Maybe at the beginning we thought, oh, well, now we get to see society come to where we've understood that we should have been all along, but we recognize that the church itself was far from that point. That it was just isolated into a secular perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. You would, I know that I would like to think that people of faith would be at the forefront of any justice movement. And I see the Me Too movement as a justice movement, similar to civil rights or any, any movement where people are standing up to say, you know, we can't treat some members of society as being less than other members. And so in that sense, you know, the sense that um, women should not be victimized it seems kind of like a no-brainer that people who love Jesus would want to have a piece of that and be leading that. And instead, I see that we tend to lag behind, kind of thinking, hmm, what's society doing? It seems very liberal and avant-garde, and we're just going to wait for all that to kind of Mm -hmm. pass, and then maybe we'll think about "Mm, what piece of it might be appropriate for us. Mm -hmm. Right. So... Clearly, that's the wrong approach. But I think it's an accurate assessment of how we in the church look at a lot of social issues. Is we look at them first, we see what's going on, we assess them, we say, oh, well, you know, maybe that's too progressive, maybe it's too conservative, whatever it is. Well, usually it's not too conservative, but it's too progressive. And then we decide whether to weigh in or not. Uh, but I, I but that think. That goes beyond this, right? It, yeah. And, and I think in this issue, it's just been such a matter of the things that we hide in the darkness that, I mean, I think we as a church have had a hard time just admitting to ourselves what we're like, what we've done. Well, look what's happened mm-hmm. here locally. I mean, so Ruth, here we're, we're in the city of Pittsburgh in western Pennsylvania, and uh, we were almost ground zero for the Catholic Church sexual abuse scandal. Uh, the local newspaper, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, won a Pulitzer Prize for their coverage. And then they went beyond that and looked at uh, plain people or Quaker people where there were also... Amish Mennonite. Yes, deep reckonings yes. of the hashtag MeToo movement as well. So... Uh, uh, 
young boys, uh, girls as well, women, young women as well, um, and it goes beyond denomination or sex. It does. It does, and isn't that just kind of both ends of whatever spectrum you want to put out there, theologically or liturgically, you know, to go from the Catholic to the Amish and everywhere in between. So when I wrote my book, I, you know, I, I say that this is, I'm looking at the liberal Protestant churches because I'm a Presbyterian. That makes me technically a liberal Protestant, mainline Protestant, however you want to describe that. I'm kind of realizing anew what a, what a red flag word that word is, liberal. But, um, but yeah, the, 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 what used to be called the mainline churches, um, sometimes we like to think, oh, it's a Catholic problem. Oh, it's a Southern Baptist problem because they've been in the news a lot. Um, but no, I think that abuse of power, which is what sexual abuse is, I mean, affects anywhere that has a power structure. So basically any human society, any institution is going to be, you know, ripe for having the abuse of power. Right. And if, if the dynamic is such that sexuality is just shrouded in secrecy and you can't talk openly about it, it kind of creates this milieu where, yes, this abuse can get acted out in secrecy. So we have, what we're seeing. Okay, mm-hmm. so we have we have the power dynamic at work, Ruth, and we have the fact that it's about sex, which makes it un, you know, uh, unspeakable. And so those two exactly. things together, you're saying, is what causes it to be so potent? Well, I think that's a, lot, a, a large part of it. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, Ruth Everhart is with us. Her new work is called The Hashtag Me Too Reckoning. So... Again, say what you will about uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatnot. Uh, For better or worse, in many ways, this has been a force to shine the harsh spotlight, uh, a grace-filled spotlight, and also a a horrific spotlight on the imbalance between those who are in power sexually and those who are not. And uh, I think for a lot of people, a lot of organizations um, and individuals, it has brought people to their knees, the the rich and powerful to uh, just anyone who has control. From a, from my perspective, I believe this is a good thing. Um, it's a necessary thing. I don't even want to call it, Ruth, a, a course correction. It's just light that's necessary. Yeah, I, that's well said. I appreciate those words. Ruth, let's talk about one of the claims that you make in your book, which is that people of color suffer higher levels of sexual assault than white people. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, um, that's something that it's always hard to have statistics around sexual assault because it's so underreported. And, um, you know, so I can't quote you, you know, point you to an exact study or something, but it's kind of common wisdom that, um, that people without resources are more victimized than people with resources. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, socioeconomic reality, people of color are often in a more marginal position. And so, you know, uh, women and, and, and girls and boys um, and vulnerable adults, of any kind are more prone to be victimized um, if they don't have the kinds of resources, either, you know, fiscally or um, a power structure around them, or perhaps um, family members who have power to exercise. I think this issue of having power to exercise has just really become a central theme in my work. I kind of 
I kind of uncovered it in my memoir, Ruined, when I was writing about my experience of being raped at gunpoint when I was 20 years old. And I wrote, wrote that memoir some 30 years later, and I wanted to unpack why that experience was so life-shattering. Um, and what I believed about that experience and why it completely derailed me for about a decade. And one of the things I really kind of deal with in that memoir, try to, is, is the sense that my agency, my ability to act was taken from me in many ways. And I just feel like this is such an important dynamic of, um, it's part of power where it's important to be able to, Talk about claiming our own power, our internal power, and those are not just words. Those that's reality. And so, so there's this kind of nexus where you have to have internal power, and then you hopefully are in a position where around you is a power structure that supports you. And so, for people of color, um, they're not going to often have that an external power, and and often they're going to be like I was, which was without the internal power. I mean, that's something completely apart from race. That's just, um, you know, a function of how we grew up or, you know, a whole lot of other dynamics. Ruth Everhart, the book is called The Hashtag Me Too Reckoning, Facing the Church's Complicity in Sexual Abuse and Misconduct. So let's move on to the church. I want to make sure that we talk about what I think is the point of your book um, and the strongest portion of your book, which is the fact that the church is complicit in this. And as much as we'd like to distance ourselves or say that, you know, the issues aren't in the church, we recognize that they are. But let's talk about why they're in the church. I mean, we have enough examples that we don't have to prove to each other that it's happening. So the question is, where does where is it coming from? Why is it flourishing in the church? Why has it been such a major problem? Right. Well, I think that the secrecy is a big part of it, that it's about sexuality, which is often something that is not spoken about. If, uh, if, if a predator is preying on children, um, and even if a child goes to uh, an, an authority figure like mom or dad and says this happened, you know, in the we, we heard many times in the Catholic situation that they were told, well, you know, whatever the priest does is right. Um, you know, I think a generation ago, we didn't question authority the way people do now. And so there, the hierarchy of certain church systems created a place to allow that to thrive. Um, so I think, there's, I think there's multiple reasons. And, and what I think is interesting is how every polity, every, every political way that churches govern themselves, because we vary, you know, can still be ripe for abuse. Mm-hmm. When we see abuse happening in the church, uh, another problem I think we have is that that's not what we call it. Mm. What do you mean? Well, you see something that you would call uncomfortable or you would say, well, that was a little weird or whatever. But you don't – I think we hesitate to label it abuse because I think it's probably out of a good intention, which is that we don't want to – we don't want to slander somebody. We don't want to make something more than what it is. But I think over time, I think the church, we have erred too much on that side, not wanting to make it something when it actually is. And if we would just state it plainly, we would recognize okay, it. Okay, so that's interesting to bring this up because this is sort of that that gray area. I mean, I think that you, you when you see 
or if you've been part of, as Ruth has, of sexual abuse, rape, um, whatever, molestation, you know, all those things, you clearly can call that for what it is. I don't think there's any wiggle mm-hmm. room there. But on the other hand, when you see the power structure, whether it is from a priest or a pastor or, you know, what we've seen recently is, you know, the big name celebrity pastors, and you see, uh, and I'll put this in air quotes, uh, innocent hugs Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, pats on the rear or Mm -hmm. whatever those, you know, things. And there's this murky sort of, and I think people see this, you know this, if you've been part of this, you feel like... well, that's been that's weird, or that's kind of creepy, or I feel a little odd, or kind of dirty, or whatever. Like right? I need to go take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> There's. I think you can recognize it when it's happened to you, or you see it. And I think that's there's the problem, right? That's maybe the the disconnect of the hashtag thing. We know sexual abuse when you see sexual abuse, or you've been part of sexual abuse. All the other stuff, that's kind sure. of the, yeah, that's the weird area. Is that true, Ruth? I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and, and I, I agree that uh, the more extreme behavior is, the easier it is to name it. And, you know, that's why when I wrote my memoir, in a way, there was a sense that I could, because I was raped at gunpoint by a stranger who broke into my house. It was an extreme story of rape. So I could tell that story because, for one thing, people weren't going to say to me, hmm, well, did you ask for it? I mean, where were you? How much did you drink? What were you wearing? It was an extreme case, so there was no gray area. It wasn't murky, mm-hmm. which, you know, in a way made it, quote, good for me to write about it because it was such a kind of an extreme case. But I completely recognize what you're saying about the that this is on a big continuum. Yeah. And so people aren't as quick to see behavior, and they like to dismiss it. And I think the reason behind that is often because they're extending grace but they're extending grace to the wrong person. You know, mm, we tend to extend grace to the person who's powerful, yeah. the person in charge. And so one of the pivotal shifts that the church needs to think about doing or to actually do is instead of centering the perpetrator or the position in power to center the victim and say, we're going to put that person and that person's needs and that person's story at the center of our response. Mm-hmm. And show grace and mercy to right. them. Okay, so keeping in mind that the victim is our main concern, yes. our first concern. Yes. Okay. All right. You know what, Ruth? Our time is up, and I would love to just speak on behalf of John and invite you back on the show because we'd love to talk about this in more detail, um, especially because of all the research you've done, all the speaking you've done, and unfortunately, your own personal experience. I just feel like as we try, John and I have gone over the last couple of years and tried to wade through this in so many different areas, especially as John said, being here in Pittsburgh, that we just would value your input. I'd love to talk more about it. It's a big subject, as you say. Thank you. It's Ruth Everhart. The new book is called The Hashtag Me Too Reckoning, Facing the Church's Complicity in Sexual Abuse and Misconduct.
Shalom. Hi, I'm Abraham Sandler, Congregational Leader of Rock of Ages Messianic Jewish Congregation. I've also had the joy of leading worship, especially Messianic Jewish worship, for many years. How would you like to go on a tour of Israel with me? We invite you to spend time with Jesus and his people in his land. You'll have time to hear teaching, worship, and pray at many significant locations throughout Israel, including some not on other tours. Early registration ends soon. To go to our website, rockofagesmjc.org, that's rockofagesmjc.org. When the earth stands between you and a finished project, you need E&K Excavation. Whether you have to dig it, grade it, drain it, prep it, stabilize it, shape it, clear it, or dispose of it, E&K Excavation has over 100 years of combined experience and a fleet of heavy equipment to help you bend it to your will. They can handle any size project for your home or business, providing quality results on time and on budget. For a free quote, visit ekexcavation.com. They'll move the earth for you at ekexcavation.com. Every cup of Circle K coffee is ground in the moment. So, whether you're craving coffee now or now, you'll get the freshest cup in the world at Circle K. Every cup ground fresh, starting at a dollar at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. For your next event, instead of worrying about catering to your guests, why not just enjoy them? The Cooked Goose Catering Company provides homemade satisfaction that puts you at ease, whatever the occasion like their roast beef and stuffed chicken breast with mashed or roasted potatoes and green beans, just $10.95 a person. Visit cookedgoosecatering.com slash word and see what's cooking. The Cooked Goose Catering Company, just good food. I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. Boy, it's been a weird 24 hours, hasn't it? Okay, so she tore up the speech... He didn't shake her hand. She omitted uh, a normal honorific. He insults them. I mean, back and forth and back and forth. I mean, what a mess. And then today, of course, the culmination of months and months and months of anger and vitriol and ugliness. Just, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. What a time we live in. To be honest, I mean, I know that we went through this with Bill Clinton, but I truly believe other than Adam and Eve and the apple, other than that, our brokenness, our fallenness as human beings, certainly that's at the center of all this. I also blame the boogeyman of social media. It has created such a deep gulf, such a hard divide. And I'm telling you, if if you were able to see any of the impeachment hearings, nobody was reaching across the aisle. I mean, look, uh, what only Mitt Romney went against the party. And, of course, say what you will. He'll be vilified or praised. And that's the whole other story. But here we are. It's all said and done. All said and done. And what was it all about? We live in such a superficial world. I mean, if you're on social, if you see Twitter, or you see Facebook, people are outraged. People have lost their minds. That image of Nancy Pelosi. That will be the image, that image of her tearing up Last night's speech. That'll be the image that will go with her to the grave. I mean, she sealed her fate with that. And, of course, the president and his voluminous tweets and all that. I mean, all the vitriol, all the ugliness, all the anger, all the chest thumping. 
and all the love and adoration around that from us because we love the president. What a mess we are in. God help us. I hope more than anything, this would ignite in some way in people's lives a dedication to prayer. You know, yesterday we were talking with uh, Terry Tim about Micah, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, Micah 6.8. That's it, right? To act justly, to love mercy, to be kind, to walk humbly. Can we do that together? Can we double down on our efforts? I'm terrible at it. I fail at this all the time. I'll double down and ask the Lord for his grace and his forgiveness and his peace. And I pray that you do the same. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.